Hey guys, welcome to Team Compton Radio, episode 3. Today we are joined by Jordy Sullivan, aka the Fight Dietitian, uh, the man behind the scenes who's not just changing the game but evolving the game, evolving the way people approach their nutrition and supplementation during fight camp but also out of fight camp. Uh, super keen to pick his brains today and just educate ourselves on the things that we think that we know but truthfully we probably don't so thanks for coming on Jordy. yeah no man that's awesome thanks for having me on it's um looking forward to it such a good platform that you have here so i'm really looking forward to having a chat thanks man so um before we get into the nitty-gritty kind of just um give us a bit of a brief update on like who you are where you've been how you got into the, the dietitian world and what made you specifically choose to work with combat sports athletes? Yeah, yeah, I'll keep it brief because this can drag on for a bit. But um, yeah, so I, I started my sporting career. I was playing um, rugby. I played since I was about four or five. And I did that right up until I was about 19, 20. And then I got some pretty bad injuries, which forced me to stop. And in my off seasons to rugby, I'd always do boxing. So like I kind of fell in love with boxing, but it was always just these short stints with rugby and then, and then back to rugby. And so, once I got injured and stopped playing rugby, it was like, okay, well, I can take this up a bit more seriously. And at the time, I just started my um, my uni degree. I went to uni, did exercise nutrition science. And I remember I was always super interested in, in combat sports. And I grew up around boxing, not so much around like MMA. I remember playing like UFC on, on Xbox. <laughs> and um, I remember thinking like, this is a legit thought that came in my head that like when they went to ground and they were doing like grappling, I thought it was like a freestyle like freestyle fighting just to get back to your feet to like bang I thought it was just like controlled street fighting in a cage but like that was my impression of MMA and my very first assignment when I was at university I actually wrote like it was like a review paper on like the effectiveness of different Taekwondo kicks or something yeah right so I was like it was yeah I was super interested in it but and anyone that's been to uni especially in like sports nutrition there's not a lot of job prospects or they tell you that there's not a lot of job prospects so I finished that undergrad and I started my master's in dietetics and I kind of finished that whole process. And it's like, if you go on Seek, if you type in like combat sports dietitian or MMA dietitian, yeah, right. you're not gonna be getting a job. So yeah. um, when I graduated, I worked in a hospital for a little while and thought, nah, this isn't for me. And I ended up going over to Canada and, and lived over there. And while I was over there, I started training a lot. I was, um, I was super dead broke. And I think that was a big thing that came, kind of came into it. I was in the Rocky Mountains. and. Yeah, as for money to, to kind of get by, I was running like these shady like boxer size classes. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I had a professional, ex-professional boxer come in and we just started like moving around training together. And that's when I really started talking to him about like nutrition and it all kind of came back to the surface. And I was like, man, like I kind of remember why I got into all this in the first place. And once we started chatting and we kind of like, you know, bounce ideas back and forth and yeah, hung out with him for a few months and tried a few different diets and whatnot. And then ended up going back to Toronto for a, for a year and a half and I was trained at an MMA gym pretty seriously then and that's kind of where it all started where I kind of started working with fighters like I was um my boxing coach got me into jiu-jitsu and like I had a you know one of my very first um jiu-jitsu comp I did like a really bad weight cut myself so yeah. that was kind of good hands-on experience but after that it was just kind of like well, let's just experiment do what we need to find some research and and go from there and that's kind of how it snowballed and came back to Australia and started to fight dietitian. So that's it in that's a cool. nutshell. That's yeah. awesome, man. It's a cool story. So um, let's just get straight into this because I'm super excited to talk about this. Is 
the whole uh, world of nutrition and everything is something that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about as everyone who knows me or has been in the gym will know. Um, so like over the years, like I've had close to 60 pro fights now and I've had some horrific weight cuts and I've done some, I've made some serious mistakes when it comes to cutting weight, hence why now I work with, with yourself. And uh, shout out for my last camp was the smoothest I've ever been with my nutrition, so thank you for that. But like it, it's very easy in this game. There's um, there's not a lot of science-based evidence in what we do. And further to that, there's a uh, a preconceived idea that everybody already knows everything about weight cutting because somebody did it once back in the '80s and it seemed to work. So now we just continue to do that. So when you approach a, a, like when you first came into the, the fight fight game, so to speak. What was the biggest thing that you took note of, and you're like, man, this is what's got to change first and foremost? Yeah, it's yeah, you, you nailed it on the head, right? I think the whole, all the problems that revolve around, especially weight cutting, is that everyone has this like old school mentality of like, it worked for me, so it must work for you. Yeah. And and even you know when I was doing it, like I remember my coach took me through it, and I had a degree in nutrition and a master's degree. And I still went along with it and kind of thought, oh, yeah, this just must be the way to do it. And it was horrible. Didn't eat carbs for like eight weeks. I passed out in a bath and got down to the scale and it was like, oh, well, made weight. And then went out there and like for the comp, we had three matches, got spanked. And it was like, oh, well. And then like the academic side of me kind of kicked over and was like, that's not right. Like there's got to be a better way. And like you said, I remember sifting through so much research or looking for research and it just not being there. And this is, it, it's come a long way, especially in the last few years. I feel like from 2010 onwards, there was there was a paper called Making Weight in Combat Sports by Dr. Carl Langan-Evans and James Morton. And James Morton's kind of, I would consider the godfather of the science of combat sports um, nutrition. And, and ever since then, there, there's been a lot more research. But pre pre that time there was nothing so you kind of I kind of sympathize with when you talk to coaches and you talk to athletes who've been doing it for a long time because there wasn't anyone to tell them otherwise and so if it worked worked for me then it's probably going to work for you if you make weight then let's just continue doing that you don't really look too far into it so yeah that that was definitely one of the biggest challenges was trying to get that information across to teams and the coaches and say look i know you've always done it this way but how about we try this or try that yeah of course see the thing for me that i found over my career and the things that i find now and i'm definitely guilty of this in the past is a lot of people in and I, I, you actually put up a post about this i think it was yesterday the difference between like these days as a Opposed to the old days, fight camp nutrition back in the day was based on making weight, right? Whereas, so the thought of like information management, gut health, performance during like during your sessions, recovery, none of that ever really factored in. It was always like, all right, I've got to lose eight kilos before fight night, so this is what I have to do to, to make that. Whereas I think nowadays, as you said, because there's so much more uh, science coming out around it, whether people choose to accept it or not. Like at the end of the day the human body is a human body and you can't argue with the science right obviously the science varies between the individuals but essentially it, it works so at what point do you how do you approach when you're talking to someone who is just so hell bent on not making weight is the only thing that matters how do you how do you even approach that subject with someone and talk to them about gut health inflammation and all the things that come along with that yeah it's definitely um it can be tough with people obviously like guys like yourself who are very open-minded and, and you know you even have coaches like like steve like your old man who are very open to it 
I'm finding nowadays it's because it's becoming so popular and I guess like like guys like myself and other other great guys in the field like Dan Garner who we were talking about before like they put out such good work that the athletes start to see the results and I think you know combat sports is such an outcome based sport like and and when we talk about weight cutting you use that same philosophy it's like well we made weight so we kind of won that nutrition fight yeah where we don't really talk about what happened in between the same with like a fight it's like yeah we won the fight so let's not talk about what happened in between it you know so it's like but there's so much that goes on that we need to discuss so i think taking taking that approach and saying look it's not just about making weight it's about adapting to make you a better athlete and then performing come fight night and that's what's going to progress you further in your career and i think a lot of people get this short-sightedness where they think okay i've just got to get on the scale and make weight i think we're all guilty of that like every combat athlete is guilty of that and then they think okay let's make weight and then we'll fight but yeah. like you've got to be thinking about it in a long-term approach and when you think about that and all the damage that you're doing to your body you know, just from training like you said you, you build up so much inflammation it's such an intense sport combat sports for anyone that hasn't tried it, it it's the most by far the most intense sport ever like i played rugby very very high level for 15 20 years never once in a rugby session did i think oh, i want to quit and that happens on the daily when you're, yeah. when you're training mma and it's just so intense for your body so you have to plan ahead and a big part of your recovery big recovery part of your your performance is your nutrition so I think now guys are really starting to realize that, and especially, like I said, when you're putting it out on social media and you know high-level guys are getting around in it, promoting it, people are starting to see, okay, maybe this is something that's worth bringing into my camp, bringing into my game, and it's gonna benefit me, not just for this camp in the short term, but for my overall career in the long term. Yeah, I agree, for sure. It's, um, it's, it's one of those things where it's almost like, if it's not broken, then don't fix it. And I guess, it, to some people in their, in, their, in their mind it's like well it's not broken because I've never missed weight you know like I've been in this game for X amount of time and I've had X amount of fights and I've never missed weight but it's kind of like yeah but maybe had you have followed a better nutrition protocol you would have less injuries you would have you know I think that there's still a big gap where people don't necessarily link their nutrition sleep recovery with injuries it's like they think oh injuries is just what happens in the gym but like the thing that I've really noticed, particularly working with you, and when I worked with Dan Garner as well in the past, the thing that really helped me was my body felt the best that it ever felt, but I was training more and harder. And for most people, that's like, well, that's not your nutrition, that's something else. But it wasn't, it was 100%. The only thing I changed was my nutrition. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's like train smarter, not harder type thing. I always use the example of like, look at, look at athletes, say, like in the NFL or the AFL or rugby league from like the 80s or 90s and compare them to like athletes now. They're chalk and cheese, right? And yeah. a big reason why that is, is because sports science develops. It's because you go to like any, any state-of-the-art rugby league team, they've got a, a, a full strength conditioning team, state-of-the-art gym, they've all got dietitians, they've all got, you know, a lot of them have sports psychologists, they have, you know, recovery specialists, they're all doing like these like Pilates, yoga, all these things that now, like, like I'll bring that point up again, the science is kind of caught up and yeah. we're seeing that now with, with combat sports where, you know, from about 2010 onwards, we're really seeing this influx of science and, you know, guys like myself, Dan, all these other guys who are doing really good things in the field are pushing this science onto athletes. So they're starting to realize like, 
yeah, maybe maybe I was always making weight, but maybe I wasn't doing it at the absolute best way possible and doing it in a way that was conducive to my long-term health and my long-term performance. So I really think that's got a, got a lot to do with it. Yeah, for sure. And I think, especially at the higher level, like you work with a lot of elite-level guys that fight in the UFC and things like that, it, it really does become, it comes down to a game of 1%, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you have two fighters whose skill set is are, are exactly the same, they're energy levels are exactly the same let's say like everything on the tail of the tape is even and then their training camp everything was even they lifted the same weight they output the same numbers it's a game of one percent so it could easily come down to who had the better weight cut or the better fight camp nutrition that's going to win right or just general nutrition yeah yeah absolutely and it's like it's a good point because a lot of guys can go through their whole career and do really well and not have a nutritionist. Like I'm not saying that it's going to be the difference between you being a world champ, but like you said, when you get to these elite levels, like the top 10 of the UFC, top 10 and one, these high, high levels, these one percenters start adding up. And it's like, and you can see it when you test guys. And that's one thing that I'm big on and we kind of touched on it before. Like, where it's like, oh, it didn't, if it's not broke, don't fix it. A lot of that philosophy is based on like, I felt good. But like feeling doesn't really mean a lot, especially to a scientist, it's like, is greater than feeling so we can actually test guys throughout a fight camp leading up and see like see the numbers on the screen how strong are you getting what's your recovery like how, how, how much calories are you getting in and what's your subsequent performance from having that that intake so you can see and you can get metrics that clearly state you know this camp we were at this level the last camp we were down here and now we keep coming up and I think once you get to that top you know one percent of fires which in the UFC let's and, and one in any professional organization you're the top one percent of athletes all these little things will start coming together like you said how you recover from a weight cut what's your gas tank like and in that in the later rounds these are all things that you can assess in a lab based setting and put numbers and then say yes like we did improve and those things are, yeah, very well could be the difference between you winning and losing in, in these big fights Especially, I think, when you when you look at the, the nature of a fighter, we train ourselves to convince ourselves that we feel good all of the time. Like, in reality, no one feels good after getting punched in the face, right? But we train our minds to be to, to not focus on anything that's negative in our head, right? That's that's the, the basic fundamental of the mindset of a fighter, right? The moment you have a little bit of negativity in, in your head, it's going to manifest, it's going to grow into something bigger. So that same concept is going to apply to, like you said, like you might feel like you're great, but the actual numbers that you're putting out might not be. So although there's definitely a carryover of having that mental positive attitude, like at the end of the day, maybe that's just where you've trained yourself to feel good. So you feel like if you've been, you feel the same for this fight as you did for last, but it's only a mental state, not a physical state. Yeah, oh man, that's the thing. Like, I, I won't underplay the psychology of it all. And a big part of my role is like that mental coaching and the psychology side. But that's such a good point. Like, I always use the example of, say if someone's cutting weight and they're in a bathtub and they're quite depleted at that time, you can give them like half a cup of blueberries and take them out of that hot room and they'll feel great but their body isn't great. Like their body is far from great. So like you said, it, it, it's a feeling, it's not a fact. Yeah. So it's like when you get these numbers and you put all of this together, you put your strength conditioning, your recovery, your nutrition together, you start getting these numbers, you say, and you would have seen it when guys rock up to a strength conditioning session. How, how often have you seen where your strength conditioning coach says, nah, we're not doing it today. But you, yeah. you feel like you can, you can go, but the numbers tell you you're overtrained, that you've got yeah, neuro fatigue. 
And these are these are the things that progress you as an athlete. Like I said earlier, train smart, not hard. And they're going to be the differences that give you the 1%. Yeah, for sure. Elliot, my strength conditioning coach from TCC Strength, Elliot Faulkner, he has said to me before, uh, we're not training today. He won't necessarily send me home because he knows that that will send me crazy in my head. Or we'll, like, I'll show up and I'll have in my head that we're going to go crazy today because he told me all the things that we we're going to do. And he'll put me through a remedial session where it's like stretching and some mobility stuff. And I'll say to him, what happened to the deadlifts and the sled runs and this and that? He goes, oh, yeah, you, I can just see that you're overtrained. You know what I mean? And I think that mentality with your approach to training should also be taken to your nutrition, right? It's kind of like, it's, it's one of those, uh, it's the, the mental side of what we do as athletes, particularly in a weight-based sport, like it's a whole nother dimension, right? Like, I don't know, you may have seen this, you may have not, not might be speaking out of school here, but I, I feel like I've seen over the years, and I'm not saying just in other people, I'm also saying in myself, it's almost the old school methods almost develops almost like an eating disorder mindset, right? Where it's like, I can't eat because I have to make weight. I can't eat because I'm, I'm an athlete. I can't. So it, the, the mindset of, oh, I need to make weight so the less I eat, the better. And that kind of sticks with you forever, right? So then it's like, when you're outside of fight camp and you're thinking, well, I want to go out for dinner with my friends tonight. So some people will go and they just won't eat for the week so they can enjoy the weekend, right? How, how do you approach something like that? Yeah, it's funny you say that. One of my um, one of my best friends that I went to university with, she's um, one of the leading practitioners in eating disorders in Australia now. And every time yeah, right. like, I chat to her, she she says that exact same thing. Like, you want to be very careful because what you do is the perfect breeding ground for disordered eating, for eating disorders. And it's completely true. Like, uh, the AIS are just releasing new guidelines for, for making weight for, for weight-based sports, and that's a large focus of it. And we want to encourage sports psychologists and sports psychiatrists to be involved just for that. But the I think you touched on it really well then, is that there's this whole culture that less is more in combat sports. And, and, and you know from, from working with trained dietitians, sports dietitians, nutritionists, whatever, that's not so much the case. It, it's when you have these numbers, you can understand and you understand how to periodize nutrition. You don't necessarily have to be, you have to be in a deficit to lose weight, but you don't have to be in a chronic deficit. And there's a big difference between that you, you can make weight eating 800 calories a day for eight weeks, you'll still make weight. And you can still do it eating anywhere between 2,500 and 3,500 calories and you can still make the exact same weight. Massive it's difference. a massive, massive difference. And the difference is, is correctly periodizing that. What, what are the days we need to have high glycogen levels, like high carbohydrates? What days can we get away with having less? And, when you, and at the end of the week, that can balance out to a lot of calories, but it shouldn't balance out day to day that you feel completely terrible sure you, you get training strains and you feel bad training but i think what that does as well when you when you take this more periodized approach and that more scientific approach it takes away that mental stress that you're always thinking about food and everyone says like you know when you just stand in front of a cupboard and you're hoping food appears or you drive past a 7-eleven and it's like every fiber in your body is, is stopping you from turning in to get the crispy creams that's not healthy for, for your for your mental aspect but when you get someone else pass that stress on to someone else and then you're confident that they're ticking all the boxes and you're feeling good during your training that's a huge huge upsize for your mental health and for your mental performance yeah 100 percent. it's um and i and i put my hand up to say that i've been in that position you know i, I don't want to necessarily compare myself to someone who's suffering from anorexia or bulimia or any of these uh eating disorders like that but sometimes i look back at where i've been in my younger career and i think 
how did I live like that? Like, for example, a picture came up with me and my cousin when he was out here nine years ago the other day, and I sent it to my mum, right? Just her mum, sorry, her sister's son, right? And it was a nice picture, don't get me wrong, but it was like, my mum was like, right, it's back, it's a cool picture. And I was like, yeah, it's a nice picture, but look how unwell I look. You know? And I look at it and I think, man, like, so I go back to them, the things that you've posted and the things that I know about calorie deficit and the hormone production and, you know, by putting yourself in such a, a, a serious calorie deficit for so long, the, the effects that that can have on your hormone production and everything else. And I think to myself, man, like, I must have been in, like, easily 60% calorie deficit for like, well, 12 months of the year. I was fighting in a weight class that I should never have been in and I don't like cutting weight. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, cutting fluid is like X amount, like too much fluid on game day is bad. But really, I was doing probably more damage, I guess, by making sure that I'm within a a range of that weight, which I should never have been fighting at. It was way too light for me. I had zero strength. I had zero endurance. I mean, luckily for me, I like at the sport that I, I fought in, I didn't necessarily need to be physically strong. But it just, I had zero base, zero foundation, and I and eventually made myself sick. It's like, and I look back at that now and I think, man, and it, that was at a time when there was no science in this game, you know? It was a caveman sport, you know? So it, it's it's really interesting. Like, I, I, I'd love to know, like, do you still see that every, like, on a day to day basis now, guys that are just. No, I'm fighting in the same weight class as I was fighting in when I'm 18 years, when I was 18 years old. But here I am now at 25, 26, with a bit of like muscle density and things like that, bone density increased, but still trying to hold on to something that maybe they shouldn't be holding on to. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's a, especially when you get to the guys who fought. I think the lightweight division is the perfect example for this within MMA, even because it's that awkward area where the most average size of a human is about six foot tall 80 kilos and no one wants to go down to 77 to well to a welterweight to fight and then it's such a massive jump seven kilos and, and there's this real predisposing thought in combat sports that of this size advantage and like don't get me wrong like anyone that's done jiu-jitsu or wrestling like it's not fun fighting someone who's 20 kilos heavier but are you it's such a skill-based sport, such a technical sport, and until you get, like we were saying, that top 1%, how much of a role is it playing? Like, you really see guys who hang on to that notion, and they want to cut as much weight as possible, and I guess, like, nowadays, like, I can take someone and I can do assessments with them. I can send them to go get a DEXA scan. I can see how much fat they have, how much, like, to the gram, how much fat they have, how much muscle mass they have, and you can see how that changes over time. So, like, an adolescent, for example, someone who's 18, 19, 20, 21 even, they're growing and they're lifting right up until they're 25, you can look at that, look at that scan and say, hey, look, like, you've put on this much size, you've only got this much fat that you can lose, like, we can do the calculations and figure out how much water we can lose from glycogen, how much we can lose from low fiber diet during fight week, how much we can lose from manipulating sodium and manipulating water, and look at this number, like, that's way too high for the weight class that you're fighting at and you know what the problem with that is that your body has a lot of water to lose but you're going to start pulling water from places that your body can't completely recover before you go back in and that's where the long-term the really long-term negative health effects come in and i think being aware of how to assess that and and putting yourself around people who can adequately assess you is really important because that happens all the time where and i've had it with clients where they've always fought that lightweight and you do this assessment and they always go, man, I can never get below 70, 76 kilos and I'm always cutting from there, which is a big cut, like it's a big water cut. 
and then you run all these tests with them and go, yeah, because physically your body will never get below that. So why don't we like look at other options of building muscle and put you in a good strength conditioning program and get heavier and then cut down the welterweight. So I think just having having the sense of knowing what to assess, what numbers to look at, and then being able to sit down and have that discussion with someone it is is going to be important. But then again, it's like, at the end of the day, it's their decision. People, people need, they have to want to hear it too, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. you can have all of the science in the world, but if someone doesn't believe it, or they just go, yeah, but I've always done this, then it, that science doesn't mean anything to that individual. Yeah, day, exactly. Right? Like you got to get the buy-in. At the end of the day, I say that to everyone. It's like, I'm just a nutrition guy. Like I'm not going to make you a better striker. I'm not going to make you better at jiu-jitsu, but I'll probably give you the best chance to be able to do that if you operate within this framework. And, and you see that when they're outside of that framework, that's when you see like injuries happen and they may be not performing too well or they go on a losing streak or you know so these it's just like I said putting these people in a position where you can present them the information and, and you know we're only human they can they can do what they want with that so it's up to them it's um it's crazy because you like and you still see it now even like you said with all the science and all the uh the awareness around it like it seems still there's a there's a, a lot of people that spend their whole fight camp focusing on making weight they're not focusing on skill acquisition timing speed it's purely like i've got to burn x amount of calories this session to make sure that i hit my target for the week to make sure that i hit my weight for the week to make sure that i'm on track to make weight and it's almost like it becomes a competition of weight cutting and then, then it's almost like they make the weight and they go, oh, thank God for that. But then it's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to fight tomorrow night. What have we been working? I've been so focused on like, like the game plan of making weight that I've forgotten the game plan of fight night. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's, I think um, there's nothing like, not too hard, crazy academic literature, but there's there's been guys that have gone through the records. I know someone uh, from like a sporting website went through all the records for the UFC between like, 2005 and 2015 I don't know the numbers exactly but they assessed the like win rate of guys who cut down to a lower weight division and then guys that went up and the guys that went up a weight division did drastically much better than the guys that went down and you see see that quite a lot like like Robert Whitaker is a a good example went up a weight class you know there's, there's countless examples of guys who just naturally their body wants to be at that weight division and, and look then at guys like BJ Penn yeah you know BJ Penn one of my favourite fighters of all time and he's had a, a, a rough couple of couple of years I, I guess but he's still a legend but sometimes when you see guys go down like they just don't look right you know what I mean yeah Man, one of the one of the man, I, I'll give a big shout out to Dan Hooker. He's one of when you talk about doing this stuff right. Dan is probably one of the guys that I work with that's done it the best ever. And he said that he used to go down to featherweight, and he, he had a nutritionist that he worked with, and then he went back up to lightweight. And I remember him saying to me, he's like. Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself through there? You're taking the focus away from the fight. 100%. And it's so true. And he, and he said to me, like... Dan's a smart guy. Yeah, he really is. He really is, man. And just his whole approach on it. And you can see it with his gym that he stores that into his fighters and, and really talks to them about that. No one from his gym doing big weight cuts and 
it's a credit too and I think guys like that and guys like yourself when you guys get up and you get through the ranks and then you start taking on students yourself you're just going to see this explosion and I think to be honest I'm kind of preparing my team like my, my guys that work with me the guys that I work with I'm kind of preparing them for when weight cutting isn't a thing yeah. like I want to get and I, I feel like commissions and I, I know from the work that I've done with the AIS they're very pragmatic about the situation that we're in now yeah. but everyone's kind of pushing to get rid of it Man, people, people are dying, bro. For, you know what I mean? And I think, like, it's it's up to us. And this is what I really respect about Dan. Like, I love the way that he fights, but I love the way that he tackles everything in his camp, from what I know. But I think it's up to us as athletes as we get older to take the lessons that we've learned, look at the mistakes that we've made through, through lack of education, and then pass that on to other people. And then, like I said, over the next 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 years, hopefully this whole thought process of I just sit in a sauna for 17 hours and then get in the next day and be able to perform my best is a thing of the past because it really is not a healthy thing to be able to do and I'm not saying that I, like, I haven't done it and I'm not saying that people like I mean it, it comes down to the individual but if you look at the actual science of the way that the human body works and the, the effects that this has on everything you can't argue that right oh, man. and it's, it's terrifying this is something that's never really spoken about with this is that one we don't know what this extreme weight cutting does to someone's health over the long term we haven't had enough studies we haven't been able to adequately assess it what we have done and i've done this with my team and we've done this with fighters getting ready for a fight there's a there's a good case study out of um john moore's in liverpool who looked at what actually happens to a fighter doing these extreme weight cuts when you're cutting eight percent water of your body weight they found very similar results to what we found it's drastic and it's it's terrifying and something people don't talk about your testosterone plummets it goes down and lots of fighters will experience that during a fight camp when they're doing this in, in a not favorable way that they just feel flat their energy levels are bad their testosterone gets to a clinically like crisis level their, their other hormones just suppress and go this is an eight week period and then kidney damage this is something that we don't talk about and it's been documented by this case study I've seen it in my own practice up to 15% decrease in function from kidneys from one weight cut from one weight cut and I think how many times are you going to put yourself through that and I always think what about the guys that are doing this over their career how many more times until their kidney stops working and, and you know what, man? This, that's scary because I put my hand up, and I'm guilty of it. I've done, I've cut a lot of weight in the past, and I've done done those weight cuts on a number of occasions. And like, I'm 30 years old now, right? And I I've educated myself to a degree, but I still understand that I have a lot to learn. But I feel like it's my responsibility now to pass that message on to other people to protect them from doing making the same mistake as not just me you know it was a generational thing if you if you will in terms of fighting like that was the thing that you had to do and if you didn't do it you had this thought process that you were going to have a disadvantage knowing what i know now i gave myself a disadvantage by doing that it's a crazy thing right yeah it's crazy and like i guess now it's just even doing things like this just talking about it it's such a um even now i find it's an area especially within like my 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 field of academics like within dietetics it's something no one wants to talk about or something no one really wants to put their hand up or the right people don't want to put their hand up about it you see it where guys like who shouldn't really be in the field will put their hands up and say yeah yeah i'll look after your weight cut and i'll do this and they might throw something together and it might work but 
it's not as comprehensive as it should be. And I think you have to have a health professional who's trained who can look at these numbers and go, hey, Elliot, man, like 10% kidney function. Okay, you made X amount of money for this, but how much are you going to value your, your kidneys? Do you want to be on dialysis when you're 35? You know, being able to look at this data and then have those tough conversations. And, you know, I'll, I'll put dietitians up for it that we haven't owned this field as good as we have or as, as we should be. And I think we're starting to see a real change with that, especially in Australia. I think the AIS are kind of standing up. I know there's a lot of guys, like I get interest from students all the time who, who reach out and want to learn more. And I think there's just such good guys like Reed Real and guys like Clint Wattenberg from the UFC are putting out such good data. The guys from Liverpool, John Moores, Dr. Carl Langan Evans, James Morton. Uh, Mark Germain, those guys are doing such good work in this field and putting it out there that I think you'll see more professionals getting in it and you'll see the sport develop and the whole process will kind of dissolve. I think you'll never get rid of weight cutting completely, but I think a lot of the negative aspects of it and the really dangerous side of it, I think you will eventually see it dissolve and the focus will just move to how do we get this performance. I think that's going to be an exciting time because then it's like, man, we, we're literally going to build super athletes and super fighters. And I think that's where rugby league now have these these super athletes. We're going to start seeing that in MMA. And that's going to be a crazy time when all of our energy and efforts are built in developing this 120% athlete that is just good in all areas, that's got their nutrition down pat, strength and conditioning, they're good in jiu-jitsu, they're good in all forms of grappling, striking. That's going to be really cool. And I think that's definitely the way the field's going. Yeah, 100%, man. And I think the thing... That's also exciting about it is although like all of this is so today all we've spoken about is combat sports right but so me as a as a personal trainer and a coach and whatever else I see just day to day general population if you will clients are coming and they and they tell me what they've been eating and they say oh I'm trying to lose weight so I'm trying to make sure that I only have 500 calories a day so that thought process isn't necessarily exclusive to fighters it's it's across the whole board because. I think like uh, we spoke about this in the car before like briefly there's this thought process that and we said before in the podcast too that the less you eat the more weight you're going to lose but it doesn't always equate to that you know there's a, a an equation that floats around people say well 3500 calories is half, half a pound uh, a pound of fat which is half a kilo of body fat so if i go in a calorie deficit of a thousand calories a day i'll lose two kilos a week doesn't necessarily work out like that right yeah no well that's the thing with like science is kind of the art of comprehension and like analysis and then putting that into practice it's like comprehend it analyze it and then apply it and a lot of the times you see with like that equation it just never works and i guess like what we were talking about in the car like losing weight and being healthy is the most simple equation in the world eat less move more but it's the hardest thing for people to do and i think a lot of it falls on is that we don't quite understand the body enough to completely say okay do this and you'll lose this amount of weight like sure you've got to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight you need to be in a calorie deficit but you've got to take into account so many other things and that's just that's not even including like we were saying the psychological side of it the financial side of it the you know the social side of it going that no one likes being that person when you're going out to a a dinner with your friends or family or whatever and you're the guy who's like ordering salads and whatnot you know you never want to be that guy so it's a tough tough thing it's kind of like drinking like that too yeah yeah, you know when you go out and and say and i get this all the time as as a fighter because a i don't really drink anyway but if i am in fight camp i have i won't have a single touch of alcohol for eight weeks before a fight right so 
when you're out somewhere someone says hey you want a drink and you go oh no thanks they get self-conscious of the fact that they're drinking and you're not but I've noticed the same thing happens with food right so like say for example like people that work in an office and I used to work in an office and I remember this happened quite a lot right someone brings in cakes they bake some cakes and they come in and they say you want a cake and you say no thank you I'm on a diet the first words that come out of their mouth will be oh but one won't hurt and it's the same and, and I feel like it's a it's almost like they try and sh- shame you into eating something because they're embarrassed about the fact that you know what I mean so that whole psychological thing is there's so many layers to it that, and there's this perception also like going back to what you were saying about like trying to like I'll, I'll only eat 500 calories a day right and I know that you're going to go on a tangent on this and this is what I'm excited about the thought process of skinny is healthy is so far-fetched, right? Yeah, oh man, it's just like... Yeah, I think that... That concept of, like, less is more is so ridiculous. It's like, it's not... That's not correct. It's like, give your body the fuel it needs. Like, the human body is like a complex organism that needs good carbohydrates, good fat, good protein to operate. Like, we developed and evolved as, as this being to operate off that fuel. We didn't evolve to operate on 500 calories a day. Those guys would have died. Yeah. <laughs> the ones, we, we, we survived and we need, you know, for most people, a bare minimum of 1,500 to 2,000 calories. You can lose weight by eating quite a decent amount of food. You just have to know what deficit works best for your body. And I see, you see that a lot in not only athletes but, but non-athletes where they're in this, like, chronic low energy state and then they get all these other health problems thyroid problems you know they can't their their testosterone their estrogen plays up their you know their hunger hormones go all out of whack it's because they're eating these ridiculous low amounts of calories so when they try to rectify the whole problem they've got all these other things that they need to they need to adjust first and yeah i think with the with the point that skinny is healthy man healthy is healthy there's numbers that define what you're healthy you can be I have clients that, you know, that are quite large, but you look at them and you get their bloods and everything, they're healthy. And like, it, it just comes back, it doesn't necessarily matter. I think if you've got where the fat is on your body is really important, you can have someone who's like quite lean. I, I've got a client who's 100 kilos and he's 8% body fat. So it's like, he's a big boy, but he's super jacked. But then I've got another client who's 100 kilos, probably sits around, 20% but he's just as healthy you know like all these markers come back fine he's got no strain his visceral fat the, the fat around his organs are fine so it's like figuring out what works best for your body what's the amount of food we've got to give in what foods work best if you want to lose weight go on this little calorie deficit you want to maintain eat this I think it really um, someone said this to me once and it rings true eh? it's just like you want to be healthy don't eat like a D-bag yeah <laughs> and it's so true uh, and I definitely think there's a even in the fight game right which sounds crazy right but there's a real body image problem too right so for example earlier in my career and even recently I, I train extremely hard I train smart but I train extremely hard right and my diet for the most part is always on point right like I said to you before I don't eat fast food if I have a cheat meal it's from a good respectable restaurant and for the amount that I trained in comparison to how I eat that they're in line with each other right and they're in line with my goals but I am never ever shredded no matter what I do I am never shredded 
and I've, I've copped it over the years. Oh, he didn't train hard for this fight. You can see it in his physique. Oh, yeah, he's good, but he doesn't look like a fighter. Or, yeah, but you know what? Like, image of... You, know, you just don't look like you should be fighting. Or You know what I mean? And I've copped it from, from, all, from every angle, right? And I think, yeah, okay, cool. But the numbers that I put out in the gym would be triple yours. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so you tell me what's better, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think um, that old saying of, like, physical appearance doesn't equal performance right exactly like it's just it's just not a thing like like i said you can't going back to that 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 what we were saying earlier like feeling versus fact you can't argue the numbers if you if we run, go run a blood panel and you're at you know let's say 15 to 20 percent body fat visceral fat is fine metabolically you're looking great in the gym you're putting up amazing numbers you'll probably find that if we do some drastic stuff and cut that body fat down those performance numbers will drop. You'll get a something will give. You'll get yep. the, that metabolic data will probably come down. You see this with females a lot. Females, I have elite level females that sit around twenty to twenty two percent. That's very normal. I have other females that can get right down to twelve percent and they'll operate just as efficiently. But it's very difficult to say being at this percent body fat or this percent body composition is ideal. Obviously health-wise visceral fat metabolic data if you, if they are all fine your body probably has and a lot to do with this is genetics and and you see that a lot if, if you're super ripped then your parents probably were at one stage super ripped if they trained a lot genetics play a large role but you probably have an optimal range that your body physically works and you see this a lot with athletes is that they tend to find that like you've got a bit of wiggle room but you need to understand that you can't push that because when you start pushing that envelope too far even if it's a guy and you're pushing below 14% body weight or body fat you might start decreasing and giving away on this metabolic health and then, and then your hormones go to crap and so you get all these negative connotations so it's a very individualized process so it's very hard to say and throw a blanket statement out and say hey you need to lose more weight or you need to get more shredded it's like man there's a bit more to it I think that definitely applies to just general day to day people too that aren't athletes right there's this perception of you have to look like the guy or the girl in the magazine or you know, and it's kind of like you got to think that with the, with the way the world is these days like mental health issues are at their peak right and some will argue there's thousands and thousands of reasons why right but you've got to think that a lot of that has been is image based but because of the image based people that are on such calorie deficits and the way that they eat bad diets whatever else you've got to think that 90% of them with, particularly with gut health and stuff too has got to be linked back to mental health issues too right oh yeah absolutely like, like I'm no expert in the area but oh, for sure and food has such a powerful you know, linkage with with um, with your mental health. Like, obviously, like there's a lot of data coming out now, and how you know they call it um, nutritional psychology or nutritional psychi- um, psychiatry, where your gut health determines how your mental health is. And it's so interesting. And then, like you said, with this body body image issues, oh, man, they just plague plague people, and they convince themselves that they have to look a certain way, and then to look a certain way, they have to do a certain thing with their diet and that thing is usually pretty drastic and completely the complete antithesis to health yeah so so yeah man it's a very complex issue so I many levels yeah, right? yeah and of course you like we're not sat here saying i mean you tell me if i'm wrong on this you call me out on it but 
You're not saying that if someone's 50% body fat that that's healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. At the end of the day, that's still stress on the heart, stress on the joints, yeah. everything else. Yeah. But there's a range, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's a healthy range oh, regardless absolutely. of who you are. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're not going to sit here and say that being overweight and being obese is healthy. Like, metabolic syndrome is, is one of the biggest epidemics to ever hit the world. Australia, two-thirds of Australians are overweight or obese. It's a huge problem. But I think... We have this perception that to be healthy, you need to be this shredded Arnie or whatever, and that's just not the case. Like I said, you need to determine what that is for for yourself. What's an optimal body fat range for you? Take it in saying that for 95% of people, that's probably a lot lower than what they're walking around at now. So a lot of people, the majority of people could probably do a lot better, Yep. but that doesn't mean that that a lot better means that you're walking on the beach with an eight pack year uh, round or you're super course. shredded you know and that doesn't mean like the uh, same thing like you said that doesn't mean that all that you need to be counting every single calorie that you put in and making sure you're hitting the exact number some of that pretty much just comes back to smart food choices and a, a, a small amount of portion control right yeah you know absolutely I mean? like i think a lot of problems you get with food and like you can have you can do really really good things without counting calories if you just follow basic principles cut out processed food yep. minimally processed foods don't eat takeout like really highly refined sugars get rid of them and you see and eat lots of plants if you're going to eat meat eat, make sure it's a good high quality meat yeah and watch the changes in your in your body eat as much salad as much veggies as much good organic meat as you can clean meat, train a bit, and watch the changes in your body. Don't even count a calorie. Watch how your body responds from going from that highly processed, highly refined, highly inflammatory diet to something that's quote-unquote a lot cleaner, minimally processed, plant-based, high-quality meat. Your body will love you for it, regardless of how much you're eating. Yeah. I remember years ago, there was a, uh, a nutrition coach that was linked up at the UFC and whatever else. And I don't know a lot of his work, so I'm not going to mention names or whatever. But he had a saying which I thought was pretty cool. It was, don't count calories, make calories count, right? And his argument was, two Tim Tams is like 90 calories versus one avocado is 275. You tell me what the better calories are, right? So if you're going to count calories, you're going to go, all right, I'm going to make sure I only have 700 calories a day and I'm going to live off Tim Tams. Well, you know what I mean? Like, Counting calories is not going to make you skinny now. You know what I mean? It's definitely not going to make you healthy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's this weird, like, thought, like this paradigm where it's like, yeah, as long as I'm having this amount of calories, it doesn't matter where I get them from. It's not necessarily yeah, true, I find right? A lot, and I, I, obviously, I'm very biased because I'm, I'm in the sports nutrition world. I think it's like a lot of runoff from this um, bodybuilding culture of like, like like you said like if it fits your macros and there's so many arguments that you know it doesn't really matter like just as long as you hit your calories and, and whatnot. like yeah eat Tim Tams all day or eat Krispy Kremes all day and you know what you probably will lose weight that's like that's not the point what's, what, what's your health look like what's your like what's your long term what's your health micronutrient like? yeah yeah exactly like yeah. are you deficient in you know eating Krispy Kremes all day you're going to be deficient in a number of micronutrients you're mentally not going to be feeling good it's not so much the point of getting your calories. To be honest, like I, I work with very strict guidelines with when we're cutting weight and we're making weight and we're eating for performance. For everyday people, it's now I don't even want to have a conversation about calories. Like it's just I just don't find it's that relevant until you get to the point where you have to dial it in and say, okay, we need to lose X amount of body fat or we need to get to this point. Then yeah, let's start getting really specific and tying it in, talking about calories. I guarantee that 95% of people can get so many good results 
by just making better food choices. Of course. And just eat, like, eat to you and, and readjusting your, your hunger hormones so you're eating when you're hungry. You're not, yeah. you know, you're not overindulging and you're eating good, wholesome, plant-based, minimally processed foods your body's going to feel a thousand times better. And, and I think like people are so driven by by numbers, right? So when you like people like to see that they're losing weight on on the scales, not necessarily like clothes sizes or anything like that. And I think that whole calorie seeing the number becomes like an obsessive compulsive thing of being able to control these numbers. And I think even that and like I said I, I don't know enough about it so I don't want to comment too much. But that also then links back to almost being eating disorder again, right? Because you won't allow yourself to, in, to eat to fuel your body or to enjoy nutrition. You just constantly, like, it, it's in your head of constantly controlling everything and it becomes an obsession. Oh, absolutely, man. And everyone that's, like, you know, weight-based sport can, can appreciate it. And everyone that's, like, ever done a diet or looked at yourself and not been happy. And, like... You see it, and like with orthorexia, which is, I guess, the, the opposite of anorexia, when there's guys who are really fit look in the mirror, and then they they see that they're not fit. Yeah. Like it, it goes both ways. That when you get this obsessive compulsion over numbers or an yeah. image that, and you set these expectations that may not be achievable for your framework of your metabolism and your physiology, that's when I feel you get these problems. And and don't get me wrong, I'm no expert in eating disorders or disordered eatings, and I feel like if you have any of these issues you should definitely reach out to like a trained person and definitely and talk about it but i feel like as a society and as as my friend said to me even with my work and the things a lot of the things we put out in nutrition we just foster breeding grounds for it and it's not good and like you need to have this bigger push on a societal and a cultural level where we don't associate food with looking a certain way like yep. like you said like oh i'm on a diet oh this guy you shouldn't have a negative connotation about that you know, it's always like someone's at the gym trying to be healthier. It shouldn't be like, it should just, that should just be the way. We should just we accept should that. actively encourage it. Yeah, yeah. And keep our eye out for people that you think that, they, oh, you know what, man, this guy's getting a little bit too obsessed or, you know what I mean, like looking out for each other in that, in that regard. I yeah, think, yeah, sure. absolutely, man. You see it, like, like you said, like, with fighters, there's no one likes being the guy that when you go out to, to dinner and whatnot, you can't order it. But there's a big difference, and, and you'd see, like, and I think that's why fighters, like, hang out with each other, hey? Because it's that the supportive environment, and, yeah. like, everyone gets it type thing. So it's hard when you go out outside of that, that subculture, put yeah. yourself back in normal society, and these guys are like, oh, why aren't you drinking, man? Just have a slice of pizza. It doesn't matter. And, like... You know what? Maybe a slice of pizza probably won't matter, but it's like it's the discipline and it's all these other yeah, things. It matters to me. It matters to you, yeah. exactly. So it's like it's it's a complex issue, man. But I think overall, you shouldn't be aiming at someone else's goals. Like if you're looking at like a picture of someone, being like, I want to get to that. I want to be that. Or if you're looking through Instagram, if you're going through Facebook, you're seeing these people. It's so unrealistic. I think one of the best things I ever did in my life, and this is like professionally and personally, was just cleared all that crap off my. Off my socials yeah and then you just kind of start focusing on yourself and like if you put yourself around i think that's why mma is getting so popular with people even just as a recreational sport because it's very hard to have like a big ego when you're going on the mats and you're kind of getting beat up every day and all this other stuff all this other crap around just kind of dissolves yeah you know like no one you're not worried about having a six-pack when someone's choking you out and you have to pass out <laughs> like it's exactly. not, so it's such yeah. a great environment i wish like if, if the greater extension of society could kind of see what that is like and experience that, I think it would be, be for the better. I think greater society looks at guys that are like, 
when you get back to that all the Rexes sort of thing, I think that's a real thing in the fight game too, right? So you see a lot of guys that are like so obsessed with looking jacked and they've got to they've got to have an eight pack and they've got to look massive. And people go, oh man, it's so ego driven and it's so like testosterone filled and it's like this stupid body mental like thing that you've got to be the toughest. But I think if you actually broke that down, it's actually not an ego thing. I think it's a massive insecurity thing. You yeah, know what I mean? So sure. for them, they they need to look like that because it, in their mind, it could be intimidating to their opponent to go, man, this guy's jacked. Do you know what I mean? Which I guess is a, it's, it's a natural thought process, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's a crazy, crazy thing. So I, I know you've got another appointment you've got to get to real quick. So let's uh, wrap this up. I just want to ask you, for anyone who's... Who, not even in the fight game just generally right because I know a lot of people that will listen to this don't fight a lot of people that listen do fight what would be your number one piece of advice which I think you may have already let it out in the podcast anyway but let's reiterate it your number one piece of advice for nutrition for general population people athletes and fighters and yeah I think um, just following those basic principles right like minimally processed wholesome good quality food I think that's going to get you the most bang for your buck I think the other thing that you need to layer on top of that is is your expectation and not not trying to fit someone else's mold or trying to fit an image that may not apply to your body so I think if like like you said if you're going to fixate on these numbers if you're going to do that that's fine to an extent but kind of have the self-awareness and put people around you that can kind of pull you back and say hey you know, that's fine maybe doing this Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, but hey, come out with us and enjoy with your friends and family. Have a meal and, and you know, let's Have do a lifestyle. This. Have a lifestyle, yeah, sure. exactly. Try and build it up into your lifestyle because, man, diets don't work. Diets don't work. I have a job because diets don't work. And I will have a job and a very long career because they will continue to not work. Yeah. And, like, I think in my role, especially with all the athletes that I work with, I, I, I reiterate that point so much. It's like... I want you in 12 months time when we finish working together when this contract finishes to you not know like how many calories or anything I want you to have a better understanding and overall education of what foods can I have where what foods are good when is this food appropriate when is it okay to have a Krispy Kreme when is it okay to do this I want you to feel comfortable to go out with your friends and have a beer and have a pizza and then know how you integrate that into your lifestyle so I think if we if we push that a lot more I think we're going to be a lot better for it that's the best advice that I've ever heard so one last question before you go how would you suggest someone to educate themselves on how to integrate that back into their life because it's for us it's easy because we understand nutrition we under well I mean not not as much as you obviously but we understand the basic fundamentals but for someone that doesn't necessarily understand it how do you how how would you suggest that they educate themselves if they don't have the budget or I mean I highly recommend having a nutrition coach or a dietitian for anyone ever personally but not everyone has the budget right so how did how would you recommend that they educate themselves yeah I guess like ultimate if you, if you could afford it yeah find a dietitian or a nutritionist or a naturopath whoever if you could afford it, if you can't, I think education is the best thing. There's so many good resources online. Say Coursera do do a lot of free education course where you can do a four-week nutrition course and you can kind of understand food on a different level rather than just seeing it for what it is and kind of categorizing things into good food and bad food. You can start looking at it on a little bit deeper of a, of a level and seeing how that applies to you. I would, I would probably stay away from like clickbait sites like pop sugar and maybe yeah. don't go to Netflix for, for your um, nutritional <laughs> info but if you can find like a just an online course that's 
that's decent. Like the ISSN do a sports nutrition course that's quite affordable. You know, as I said, Coursera do a lot of free courses. There's a lot of dietitians that, that do inf inf information on YouTube. Watch those, get a bit more educated and then start putting yourself in circles around other people who do that. I think CrossFit is debatable, whatever, but I think that's a great example how you can, as society is kind of built around that healthy mindset and being that, like whether or not it's up, we're not gonna get into that debate, but it's like, but it's like put yourself around people who are gonna talk, like talk to you about it and encourage you to do things better and learn something online and then find someone that's gonna be able to discuss it with you and say, okay, maybe you should do this. And I think put yourself around people who are going to hold you accountable for, for what you're doing is, is really important as well. That's one of the main reasons why I have you. you know I mean, like, like I said, I've gone through my whole career up until the last few years without a diet, dietitian or a nutrition coach. But for me, having someone like you holds me accountable and it makes me think about a bigger picture. Every time I go to eat something or I, like when I'm programming what I'm going to do, I think about it even like now I'm out of fight camp I'm still thinking about all the things that you've taught me and we're still keeping contact on a day to day basis to make sure that I'm not letting myself go yeah that's it man like, like we said earlier it's kind of changing your mindset and changing your lifestyle and that starts in the little things like with your habits and that might just be when you go to the cupboard out of habit maybe it's just having you know that 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 angel and devil on your shoulder and kind of saying oh maybe I shouldn't have this now or I'll save that for after I have my big workout on Saturday or something so I think yeah that accountability and it doesn't have to be a trained person that can be your best friend it can be your mum it can be your dog like if you like, look at your dog every time yeah. you want to have like a bad bad meal you know so it's like kind of, kind of keeping accountable is going to be pivotal and doing well integrated into your lifestyle awesome man well, look bro I probably made you late for your next appointment so Thanks so much for that. Thanks for coming on board. We definitely need to run this one back and we could talk for hours on end on this. So, uh, Let's do it. We'll make it a monthly thing. Yeah, man, for Let's sure. Thanks so much for coming on board. Um, anyone or anything you want to give a shout out to the best way to get in contact with you if anyone wants to book in with you or yeah probably best way go on um, social media go to Instagram um, the underscore fight dietitian on Facebook the fight dietitian or you can shoot me an email at info at the fight dietitian .com. Um, you can make bookings that way or if you have inquiries I've, I've usually got some time each week that I um, get back to those emails and just answer questions so yeah reach out if you have any um, questions Perfect. Thanks so much, man. Let's uh, run this one back soon. Cheers, bro.